It's all yours, brother. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to start by saying good afternoon to everyone. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Trust me, I know the task ahead. You don't have to tell me. I ain't good, too. I'm a little sluggish myself, but I said we're going to preach the sleep out of us. We're going to uh, get a word from the Lord nevertheless. So I'm not going to hold you too long. Or I'm going to try not to hold you too long. I won't make any, any promises I can't keep. So if you have a copy of God's word, now please meet me in the book of Matthew, chapter 3. And what I want to speak on this afternoon is just to answer a bold question. Uh, why obey the gospel? Uh, you have many people uh, that have not obeyed the gospel, and even those that have, they, they say that being a child of God, what does it amount to? What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be a follower of Christ, to obey the gospel? Why would I do it? And so I want to look at the text of Matthew chapter 3. I want to start in verse 13 and work our way down to 17. And as we're reading the text, we see Jesus Christ coming to John the baptizer, not John the Baptist, uh, John the Immerser, uh, to be baptized of him. And as we see Jesus coming to John, John is trying to forbear him, saying, you're coming to me to be baptized when I need to be baptized of you. Jesus says, no, suffer it to be so, so that we can fulfill not some, but all righteousness. So first, this lets me know that baptism is something that fulfills all the righteousness of God. And then he goes on to say, uh, as he baptizes Jesus, he puts him down, immerses him, he fully covers him in the Jordan. And as he comes up out of the water, something amazing happens. We see a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. We also see a light from heaven shining upon Jesus and the Holy Spirit descends as a dove. Now, if I had to ask, if I were to ask you a question and say, what would you say the most peaceful moment in the adult life of Jesus Christ was, what would you say? I would like to think that this event, this event recorded in Matthew chapter 3, this, is ha this has to be one of the most peaceful moments in the adult life of Jesus. I want you to picture it as Jesus comes out of the water, the heavens open up, the light shines down, the dove, the spirit descends like a dove, and then God the Father speaks. This has to be one of the most peaceful moments I can think of in the adult life of Jesus Christ. But I want you to look at the very next verse of Matthew chapter 4. In the very next verse, the Bible says, then was Jesus led up of the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. So in one chapter, you have Jesus coming up out of the water. In the next, he's going into a wilderness. In one chapter, he's being spoken to by, the, by God, his father. And in the next, he's being tempted by Satan, the devil. So this teaches me that life is full of ups and downs. One moment you can be on cloud nine, and in the very next, it can be raining cats and dogs. One moment things can be going smooth. You got that promotion, you got that nice house, gas is in the car and everything. And the next minute you don't know where your next meal is coming from. This is how life is. Uh, we used to sing the song, time is filled with swift transitions. And this is how life goes. So I want to point out three things in this text. Because you might be saying, well, Brother Hatcher, how do we know that there wasn't some space in between this? How do we know that and, and when Jesus was baptized, this didn't happen a few years later or a few months later? 
or even a few days later. Because if you're like me, when I break up chapters, when I read the Bible into chapters, I like to believe that there's some time in between each chapter, right? You know, you end chapter 3, there's got to be a few seconds at least in between chapters 3 and chapters 4. Well, let's look at Mark's account of this same event. You see, I like to call them Bible events. I don't like to call them Bible stories because the word story sort of implies fiction. And, and there's nothing made up about what happened that's recorded in the Bible. So let's look at the Bible event. But this time we're going to look at Mark's account of this same event. In Mark chapter 1, in Mark chapter 1, beginning at verse 9, Mark is going to record the same event that Matthew records. He's recording or he's writing down the baptism of Jesus. But in verse 12, Mark is going to use a word that Matthew didn't. In verse 12, your Bible should read something like this. And immediately, Jesus was led up into the wilderness by the Spirit. So that lets me know that after Jesus was baptized, there was no time to get ready. There was no preparation. There was no space. But as soon as he came out of that water, he was led into the wilderness. So as soon as he obeyed the will of God or he fulfilled all righteousness... It's almost as if his temptation by Satan began. So now you might be wondering, well, Brother Hatchet, if you're telling me that Satan didn't even start attempting Jesus, start attacking Jesus until after he came up out of that water, why then would I want to get baptized? And I'm so glad you asked. I'm so glad you asked because when you ask me a Bible question, I feel implied to give you a Bible answer. Amen. Let's go back to Matthew, and I want to look at three things. In Matthew chapter 3, in verse 16 and 17, I want to look at how the Spirit descended upon Jesus as a dove. But most importantly, I want to look at the words that God would say to Jesus after he came up out of the water. Because, yes, while it may be true that there are some of us in the Lord's church that have this, this misconception that once I get baptized, not only are all my sins washed away, but so are all my trials, troubles, and tribulations. Now, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but I have to let you know this. That's not the case. Amen. Once you become a child of God, that's not when your troubles end. That's when your spiritual journey actually begins. But while that may be the case, I want you to notice something else. It wasn't until Jesus came out of the water that God would say these three, three things. He says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So let's look at three things. He says, my beloved, he says, my son, and he says, in someone, I am well pleased. And that's what we'll draw three points from this afternoon. So number one, beloved. This is my beloved. The word beloved literally means, if I break it apart, to be loved. But I want you to look at who's speaking. This is God the Father speaking. This is God saying, Jesus, I love you. Now, I can't speak for you, but I can speak for myself. It's good to have the love of a colleague, the love of a neighbor, love of a family member, love of a classmate, love of a friend, the love of a spouse, and the love of a mother or a father. But nothing can compare to the love of God. Amen. Now, in the Greek, they would have four terms that they used to represent love. You had the agape love, you had the eros, you had storge, and phileo. Phileo would be that brotherly love, uh, loving you like a brother. You know, uh, Storge would be family love, loving you because we share the same last name and we, we go through a family bond. We have actual blood that ties us together. 
And then eros would be that love that I just found out about. It's the love between a man and a woman, or more importantly, a husband and a wife. I feel I need to specify that now because you have people believe they can share this type of love, but don't have to be married. No, this is the love God specified, not just for a man and a woman, but for a husband and a wife. Not a husband and a husband, or not a, a, a friends with benefits, but a husband and a wife. But then you have the agape love. The agape love is that unconditional love. It's saying, I choose to love you because I choose to. Not because we're family, not because I married you, not because we're brothers. I just choose to love you because you're worth it. And so the agape love is the love that God has for us. And there was, a, there was an artist by the name of uh, uh, Frank Revy, uh, where he said, uh, it feels so good loving somebody when somebody loves you back. And so knowing that God loves me, I can't speak for y'all, but knowing that God loves me, it gives me hope. Why, Brother Hatchet, with knowing, just knowing that God is the one saying, my beloved. This is God saying, I love you. When God says it, it means a lot more than when I say it. Because I can say I love you, but if you forget to pay me back, if you tell me you're going to pay me back and you don't pay you, I might let the phone keep ringing, or I might put you on do not disturb, or I might miss a couple of your calls. So we're not going to speak about uh, human love, but when God says he loves you, this means something. Uh, John 3.16, a verse we all know, uh, a verse most of us know and are familiar with, says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Now, this is a love I cannot even begin to comprehend on how you could love someone so much that you'd be willing to not only send your son, but I want you to think about Jesus being God in the flesh. So basically, God would give himself. God would send himself to die in my place even though I know I don't deserve it. Even though I know I constantly let him down. Think about this. We're human, yes. Being human means we make mistakes. Yes, I may be a Christian. Yes, I may be a preacher. Yes, I may have graduated from a, a preaching school. And I try to give God my absolute best, but let's face the fact. The spirit is indeed willing. But the flesh is so weak. And there are times when I not only let myself down, I let my spouse down, I let my family down, maybe even let the instructors down. Sometimes I let the church down, but there are times when I know I let God down. And see, this hurts me because I try so hard to do right. But I'm telling you, that flesh is something to battle. It's something, it's something we have to deal with. And there are going to be times when we make mistakes, but we can't quit. We can't stay down. There's nothing wrong with getting knocked down. But what do you do when you fall? What do you do when you're on the ground? Do you sit there? Do you soak? Do you give up? Do you say it's too hard? Or do you get back up? But here's the deal. If I didn't know that God loved me, I wouldn't want to get back up. I wouldn't want to get back up. Because I feel like I've sinned. I've let him down. There's no way he can still love me after all this wrong that I've done. God says I love you anyway. Romans 5 and 8 is a verse that helps me battle my inner depression. It's a verse that helps me battle my inner man and my inner thoughts. The biggest battle I have to face is the battle with myself. Amen. Other people can forgive me. Other people might forget. But I, I have a hard time forgiving myself. Amen. I have a hard time getting over myself sometimes. And the devil knows this. The devil will use that against you. Do you know there is a sin that can't be forgiven? 
There is a sin that can be forgiven. And I'm not talking about blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. I'm not talking about the sin unto death in John 5, 14. I'm talking about the sin we don't confess. Think about this. 1 John 1, 9 says, if, that's if, if we confess our faults, he is just in faith to forgive us and to cleanse us, not from some, not just from the big ones, not just from the little ones, but from all unrighteousness. But it says, if, if we confess, which leads me to believe, if I don't confess it, he won't forgive me. And so that leads me to believe the only sin God won't forgive is the sin I don't get up and ask for prayers for. And so the devil, knowing this, will try to keep me down because he knows if I'm too sad, I won't pray. He knows if I'm too depressed, I won't come to Bible study. He knows if I'm too depressed, I won't sing. And if I'm not singing, I'm not giving, I'm not praying, I'm not in my Bible, I'm not coming to Bible study, I won't ask for forgiveness. He knows that. But you see, knowing that God loves me, Romans 5 and 8 says, But while we were yet sinners, Christ, God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, not when I was perfect, not when I was preaching, not when I had it all together, but while I was still in my sins, God loved me enough to send Jesus to die for me, and he did it while I was still in my sins. So knowing that God loves me, this gives me hope. It helps me get back up even when I let him down. It helps me get back up when I let myself down. It helps me get back up and keep fighting because I know that's what the devil does not want. He doesn't want a fighter. The devil don't mind you coming to church. He just don't want you to believe the message that you heard. The devil don't mind you reading your Bible. He just doesn't want you believing the scriptures that you've heard. And so that's something I've learned that when God loves me, it means something. It helps me get back up. Paul would say, in Romans chapter 8, beginning at verse 38, Paul says, I'm persuaded. What are you persuaded by, Paul? Paul says, I'm persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor powers, nor principalities, nor angels, nor things present, nor things to come, neither height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to do what, Paul? Shall be able to separate me from the love of God, which is where? In Christ Jesus. You see, that's what you get when you obey the gospel. You know that God loves you. He says, this is my beloved. And point two, he says, son, not only does, does God love you, but he's your father. He says, this is my beloved son. In other words, Jesus, I'm your father and you belong to me. That word son implies parental ownership, meaning God is the father. Now, I actually grew up in a single parent home. I actually grew up with just my mother, my earthly father. Uh, was not there for me. Uh, my earthly father didn't, didn't take me in, and I don't hold that against him. That's one thing my mother always raised me to do. She said, never hold that against your father, because the day he was born, I gave him a choice. You can either be in his life or out, but you're not going to be an in and out dad. Respectfully, my father chose out, and I respect him for that choice. Because I didn't have a man pretending to be my father. I didn't have a man giving me false hope, giving me false, uh, saying he would do one thing and then never showing up. My father was out the whole time. And for that, I respect him for that. But see, God isn't like earthly fathers. God isn't the type to have a child or, or, or to allow you to be born into his family and not check upon you, not see about you, not be there for you. He says, this is my beloved son. In other words, when you obey the gospel, 
you become a child of God. What is that supposed to mean? How does, how does that give me anything, Brother Hatchet? Well, knowing who I belong to is giving me a sense of security. See, I told y'all earlier, I'm 5'5", five five, but that's only with my shoes on. I'm five, four and a half with my shoes off. And I, I weigh about maybe 165. Basically, just looking at me, I'm not that intimidating. I'll admit it. I'm not the baddest or the boldest looking dude. Nobody looks at me and say, oh no, here comes Tobias. Y'all better run. Uh, I'm not scary or intimidating at all. But I don't have to fear anybody. And I walk around with my chest out and my head held high. You know why? Because my confidence is not in my little four, five foot four, 165 pound self. My confidence is in my father. And you see, I, I, I did the comparison. Yeah, I know a few scriptures. Yeah, I graduated from preaching school. I've been in the church a couple of years. And, and I, would, I would say I have some faith. I have some strong faith. But as strong as I think my faith is, it's not good enough to beat Satan. Let me, let me explain this. You see, Satan is a being that's been on this earth more than 2,000 years. Over 2,000 years, and, and here I am thinking my little 26 years worth of knowledge that I can outsmart him or outwit him, it's just not going to happen. Satan is a being who was once in heaven with God. That means he is, a, and he's in, in essence, an angel, which means he has powers beyond our belief. So I, 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 even on a good day in the gym, I could probably bench about 225. That's max. 225 max. So I, I, I know I'm not confident in my strength to be able to overpower Satan on my own. But you see, I serve a God. And not only do I serve him, I belong to him. A, a, a God who created the heavens and the earth. A God who created Satan. A God who created me. A God who knows the hairs on my head. A God who knows my thoughts before I think them. Who knows my words before I even ask them. That's the God who I not only pray to, who I not only serve, but he's my father. Amen. That means I don't care how big and bad the devil may seem, my father is bigger and better. Amen. And I don't know about y'all again. I didn't grow up with my earthly father, but I know for a fact that if a child was ever in trouble, they depended on their father for protection. If a bully ever messed with you, you could always call on your daddy to run that bully off. And, and I didn't have my earthly father, but I always had my heavenly father. And no matter how bad life may get or the devil may try to throw these things at me or even send his, his little soldiers my way, my heavenly father is bigger and better than anything he can think of, anything he can send. And that's where my confidence lies. You see, knowing who I belong to, it gives me a sense of security. You see, Jesus would say in, in uh, John chapter 10, uh, verses 27 and 28, uh, we talked about that this morning. He says, my sheep, they hear my voice. They follow after me. I know them. I give them eternal life. They shall never perish. But here's the part I love. He says, neither shall any man be able to pluck them from my hands. And then he goes one step further in the very next verse. He says, and my hands are in the Father's hands. So that means even if you thought you was bad enough to get through Jesus, you still got to get through the Heavenly Father. And knowing that I belong to that God, I don't have to fear anything. This gives me strength. This helps me walk around like, like, like I own the place, really. And so you might be thinking, how can somebody so little be that bold? 
is because I know where my strength lies. I know who I belong to, and I know that he loves me. Now let's look at that last word. He says, my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Now when you know that God is pleased with you, it gives you peace. How do you know that, Brother Hatchet? Proverbs 16 and 7 says, when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. <clears throat> My biggest problem is I don't always do, think, or say those things necessary that would make God please with me. I'm okay with knowing that God loves me. I'm okay with knowing that God is my father. But sometimes I know I behave in such a way or I might do some things where he's not well pleased with me. But if there's one thing I have learned in this life, I don't have to live my life according to anybody else but the Father. You see, I've tried <coughs> pleasing friends. You can't please everyone. I've tried pleasing uh, schoolmates, classmates, coworkers. I've tried pleasing my boss on the job. I've tried pleasing teachers. I've tried pleasing my parents. But you are going to let somebody down. Do you know there are people on this earth who will get mad if you help them? I've seen it done. I've seen a man bless a, a young lady. She was a member of the church, and he was the minister there. And around her birthday, uh, her graduation for graduation, he blessed her with a car. Do you know she was upset because it wasn't the color car that she wanted? And I couldn't I really wrap my head around. I couldn't even imagine. Here's a free car being given to you. You don't have to pay for it. It's already paid for. And you're upset because he got you the car, but he got it in the wrong color. You got people. You can't please everyone. That's what I've learned is no matter what you do in this life, somebody's going to be mad at you. Amen. Just even, even being a preacher, man, you can stand at that back door as y'all walk out, and I can shake people's hands. If I shake it too tight, they'll say, ooh, he's aggressive. If I shake it too loose, they say, oh, he's funny. You better watch him. <laughs> you can't please everyone. But you know what I'm so glad about? I don't have to please anyone. The only person I need to worry about pleasing or concern myself with pleasing is the Heavenly Father. Amen. Because when God is pleased with me, I can be at peace. Amen. Philippians 4 and 6 says, don't be anxious about anything. But in all things, through prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto who? Wow. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Amen. All I have to do is please God, and that's it. I don't have to worry about pleasing folks at the job, and, and I think that's one of our biggest problems. I've learned this too. You know why I have a preacher preach, and he gives the invitation, and he's asking if anyone stands in need of prayer, uh, won't you come forward? There are some people who will sit right there in their seats, won't fill out a card or won't come forward because they're too concerned of what other people might say. They're too concerned of what, what they might think about me this time. I just repented of this last Sunday. If they found out I did it again, they're going to think something wrong. It doesn't matter what they think about you because last time I checked, they don't have a heaven or a hell to put you in. That is reserved for God and God alone. That's why I said it this morning. When we stand up and ask for prayers, we are simply taking your prayer to God on your behalf. The forgiveness comes from God, not from man. Man may forgive you, 
but they won't always forget what you've done. God says, I will forget your sins. I'll remember them no more. And as far as the east is from the west, I'll cast them away. We serve a God that's not only willing to forgive us, but he's able to forgive us. He's willing and he's able. All he's asking you to do is just come to him. Come to him. I, I, I was talking to uh, one of the young, young guys in the back, and I was talking to him about becoming a child of God. It's one of the best things, one of the best decisions you could ever make, and I promise you it is. I said, God, it rains on the just as well as the unjust. God's grace and mercy falls upon us all, but according to James 4 6, he gives more grace to the humble. Well, who are the humble? Those who humble themselves down and obey his will. Those who humble themselves under the mighty hand of God and obey the words of the Father. In Matthew chapter 3, you see Jesus being baptized. In other words, he's submitting himself to the will of the Father. And he said, John, I need you to do this because it's going to fulfill all righteousness. Now, some people like to sit here and tell you that baptism isn't essential for salvation. Baptism really isn't that important. Okay, let's look at the facts. From Malachi to Matthew, over 400 years of silence, God has not spoken publicly. He came to uh, Mary and he came to Elizabeth in a dream, in a vision, but publicly God hasn't spoken in over 400 years. All of a sudden, Jesus gets baptized, comes up out of the water, the heavens open, and a voice comes from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. But baptism isn't that important. Let's check this out. Jesus. Jesus, according to Hebrews 2, had no sin. According to Acts 2.38, baptism is for the forgiveness or the remission of sin. But Jesus had no sin. Why then would he be baptized? Could it be that he was trying to show us an example that we should follow in his footsteps on how it is that we please God? Amen. But you know, baptism just, it really ain't that important. Let me give you one more. For the first time ever recorded in Scripture, you have God the Father, God the Spirit, and God the Son all present on earth at the same time, at the same place, as if to say something important on earth is going on, and we all need to be there. But you know, baptism just isn't that important. If you are not a child of God, I am pleading with you and begging with you this afternoon. Won't you humble yourself under his righteous, mighty, righteous right hand, and let God exalt you into his family, into his kingdom, I just preached on how when you obey the gospel, three things, three promises that God told Jesus, they apply to you too. Just like God didn't give Jesus those promises until after Jesus came out of the water, you won't receive them either until after you come up out of the water. These three truths do not apply to you. I'm sorry to tell you, but I have to let you know. You can't say that God loves you, that he's pleased with you, and that you belong to him if you have not obeyed the gospel. So I ask you again, why obey the gospel? What does it mean to be a Christian? Number one, it lets me know God loves me. Number two, it lets me know I'm his child. And number three, it lets me know that he's pleased with me. And according to 1 John 3, verse 14, 
if we we have if our hearts condemn us not, we have confidence toward God. And whatever we ask of him, we receive of him. Why? Because we do those things that are pleasing in his sight. When we do what God asks us to do, we know he's pleased with us. And when God is pleased with us, anything we ask him, we receive it. Won't you obey the gospel? If you are a child of God, you know God loves you. You know you belong to him, but you don't know if he's pleased with you this afternoon. Guess what? We can pray for that too. We can pray for that too. But Brother Hatchet, how do I humble myself? How do I become a child of God? How do I obey the gospel? By hearing God's word, Romans 10, 17. By believing what you've heard, that Jesus is who the Bible says him to be. Hebrews 11 and 6. By repenting of your sins, Luke 13 and 3. By confessing Jesus to be who God said he was, Matthew 10, 32 and 33. And by being added to the watery grave of baptism, going down into the watery graves of baptism, being risen to walk in the newness of life, and being added to the body of Christ, Acts 2, 38, for the remission of sins. And again, I talked about those five steps. There's one more. And being faithful. Doing those things that are pleasing to the Father. What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be a child of God? Why should I obey the gospel? Because God loves you. You're his child. And he's pleased with you. Once you make that decision today, as we together stand and say. Page 241. I must tell Jesus. I must tell Jesus.